When it comes to your walk with Jesus, are you counting the cost? Here's Pastor John Randall. You came home and you told your parents, you're not going to believe this. I went to church and I gave my life to Christ or, or whatever. You committed your life to Jesus and your parents said, what? How could you turn your back on your family? How could you do this? You know what? You're not welcome here anymore. And you, there was a cost at that moment. Do I love my father and mother more than I love Jesus? There's a cost. Am I going to not follow Jesus because I'm being rejected by my family? Or am I going to follow Jesus because I wanna, I'm accepted by him? And that's a tough thing. And there are people, especially in other cultures today, where following Jesus, there is a tremendous cost involved. It's time once again for A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. So we're sitting around the dinner table today with Jesus as we resume our study of Luke's gospel. Pastor John has us consider the 14th chapter today where we'll find a lack of humility and sincerity, among other things. We'll then transition to the cost of discipleship. In case you haven't noticed, there is a cost that goes along with following Jesus. If you have a Bible nearby, join us in Luke 14. Here's Pastor John. For some people, they have a lot of false humility. This also is pride. Just as much as brazen arrogance is pride, false humility is also pride because it's wanting someone to stroke their ego as they you know, put themselves down. But really, it's something else is the motive. God wants us to walk humbly with him. And if we will walk humbly with the Lord, then we will lack no opportunity to serve the Lord. But when we walk in pride, when we are promoting self rather than promoting Jesus, we'll be humbled. And God has ways of humbling us. And listen, I've been on the receiving end of being humbled, and it's not fun. I would much rather humble myself than have the Lord humble me. Amen? Amen. Probably it's never happened to any of you, but you, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm saying. When you think about this parable, I also believe that it really points to the person and work of Jesus. You think about all that he had, all the glory where he dwelled before he came to this earth, and how he himself took the lower place, didn't he? He came in the form of man, but the condescension of Jesus coming from where he was, the heights of glory, to come and minister to mankind, and he humbled himself. Paul writes to the Philippians and said, he became obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. But then Paul said, he has been exalted. He has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. Jesus humbled himself, and he was exalted. The Lord's saying, hey, you need to humble yourself rather than exalt yourself. In Jeremiah 45, 5, an important verse that I have often meditated on and asked myself the question, the prophet says, do you seek great things for yourself? And then he responds by saying, seek them not. How important it is to seek great things for the Lord rather than great things for ourselves in order to receive the recognition of man. So Jesus points out at this dinner, I mean, this is a rough dinner. Nobody, everybody's losing their appetite really quickly. Lack of sympathy and mercy for those who are in need and a lack of humility and just overcome with self-exaltation. But it doesn't stop there because as you move on to verse 12, we're still around the dinner table and then Jesus exposes and points out a lack of sincerity seen in hospitality. Look at verse 12. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, Don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
And Jesus now addresses the man who invited him and looks at him in front of all the guests and said, hey, next time you hold a feast, don't just invite those people that you're hoping to get something back from them. And what he's implying is that's exactly why he had invited them. Well, that's a little uh, uncomfortable. That's a little embarrassing. Listen, what Jesus is saying is this man who invited him not only invited Jesus under false pretenses, but everybody else who was there, he invited them with the same impure motive. He was hoping either to pay them back because they had invited him to their house before, or he was going to put them under his debt so that they would have to invite him during future times as well. It was all with this impure motivation. He was exploiting this hospitality for the sake of self-glory. He was serving these people, or at least inviting them over, hoping to get something back from them. There was an ulterior motive that seemed to be covered up, but Jesus could see right through it. And he brings it to the light in front of everybody that was there. You know what I love about Jesus? When it was necessary, he spoke the truth. He didn't water it down. He didn't mince words. He got right to the point. No matter who it was that he was talking to, he was no respecter of persons. He could be with a religious leader. He could be in the presence of a prostitute. He could be with somebody, a woman at the well, and he would just get right to the point and and speak to the real need that was there. And there were times because Jesus was operating, speaking forth the word of God, and the word of God has a way, doesn't it, of getting right down to the discerner of the real thoughts, the real motives, The real intents of the heart. It exposes us for what we are. It's like a mirror. And I have found that the word of God many times can cut deeply and expose things openly. But you know, the the amazing thing is the same word of God that can cut deeply can heal so wonderfully. The same word that is sharp and just, I need to repent of that is the same word that I find the Lord just sews up the incision with, with the promise And there's comfort and there's healing that applies. Jesus was a straight shooter when it came to speaking the word of God. And I think that's really important in the days in which we're living. In fact, I was reading about a man whose name was Peter Cartwright. He was a preacher in the 1800s. And he was told that Andrew Jackson had come into his church. And Cartwright was known for being a fiery preacher. And so before he got into the pulpit, he was informed, hey, listen, Uh, President Andrew Jackson's here. You might want to just, you know, curb your remarks a little bit. In other words, calm down. Don't get too intense. And so Peter Cartwright got into the pulpit and he said, I have been told that our president, Andrew Jackson, is in our congregation this morning and I have been told to guard my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell unless he repents of his sin. (laughs) That's pretty much to the point. But as you look at this parable that was being told, Here is a lesson, I believe, in the examination of our motives for doing what it is that we do. Why am I serving the Lord? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this in hopes that I will get something back, that something will be reciprocated to me? Or am I doing it just simply because I love Jesus? Am I doing it because I'm not expecting something back from you? But I just want to bless you because I've been blessed. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I'm sure that you have. Maybe you have ministered to somebody. There was no ulterior motive. You saw the need. It could have been maybe on a missions trip or it could have been in your neighborhood or somebody was in need and you just, no strings attached, you just met the need. And you knew they couldn't pay you back or you knew they couldn't respond in any way that could amount to what you had done. But you personally, in doing that, you were so blessed. 
I don't know how that works. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. And so you're, you're blessing somebody. And, and, and then in the process, you end up getting so blessed. I, I've traveled to third world countries before and ministered to people that had nothing to give me. You know, that would, you know, monetarily, and I wasn't looking for it. I was going there to be a blessing. But in the process of being a blessing, I was blessed beyond what I could even calculate or tabulate. There was no price that you could put on it. It's just something that the Lord did. And you experience that when you give out of a pure motive to somebody, you're serving somebody or ministering to somebody. There's such a blessing in that. They can't do anything for you. And you know what, guys? There are opportunities all around us where we can do just that. You know, there's a convalescent home not far from here. In fact, there's a few of them, a few of them filled with people that nobody really ever goes and visits. And they sit there and for some of them, their families have dropped them off and they want somebody else to care for them and they rarely come and visit them. And if you go in there and you sit down and you talk to some of those people, they'll tell you, you know what? No one ever comes and sees me. You're the only person that's ever come and see. And you know, there's ministry right there. They can't do anything for you. It's not like they're going to be able to give something back to you. They can barely get around. They have to be moved from one place to the other. They have to go through all of these things. And yet here you have an opportunity to be a blessing. And in the process of being a blessing, you end up getting blessed. Sometimes we want to do those things that only are going to bless us back rather than just being a blessing. And I've found that the Lord over time has questioned my motives. John, why are you doing what you're doing? Lord, hopefully it's for you. I want to be doing this for you. Lord, purify my motives. Sometimes I feel like the psalmist just saying, Lord, would you search my heart? Or would you try me? Would you see if there's some impure motive? Would you see if there's something in me that's, that's not in line with, with the proper motivation for doing this? And would you change that about me? That I wouldn't be thinking something, I'm getting something back, or that I'd just be doing it just because I love you, regardless of what the reaction is or what the response is. Have you ever been on the receiving end of a gift from someone only to feel guilty and they made you feel that way as they gave it to you? Is that the worst feeling ever? You know, you don't really, you don't realize how, how much, how long I had to wait in line to get that, do you? I'm like, no, I didn't know that. Do you know how much that cost me? I had to work a whole, really? That's awesome. Yo, seriously, I know, you know what? At that point, you just want to give it back. Because you feel so guilty. But what when you give, it's an impure motive. Don't give that way. But if you just give... Just because you love Jesus, that's the right motive. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Jesus tells us here that there is a great blessing because they can't repay you. And he says, you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Mark that. Jesus says there is a resurrection of the just. In other words, there is life after death. Jesus made that point clear in John's gospel. He spoke about the resurrection of those unto eternal life and those of resurrection unto condemnation. Every single person will have their own resurrection. Every person will. At some point, whether the Lord comes for you first or you die to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord if you're a Christian, but every single person, death isn't the end. There is a resurrection for you. And, and what you do with what Jesus has done will determine where you end up. But there is a resurrection for the just and for the unjust. Upon hearing Jesus talk about this resurrection of life and these blessings that will be restored and, and this equality, it appears, that's in the kingdom, regardless of what your status, one person speaks out and they say to Jesus in verse 15, it says, one who sat at the table with him heard these things and he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant out at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. Verse 18. 
But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, well, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and in the lanes of the city. Bring here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you commanded. And still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. Now in this culture in particular, one man says, boy, it's going to be great when we're in the kingdom eating the bread that's of the kingdom. What a blessing that will be. And Jesus tells a story, a parable about a feast that relates to the kingdom of God. There are many that were invited But not everybody came to that feast. There were many that were given an invitation to be a part of the kingdom and they rejected it. As we'll see in a moment, they made excuses. In that culture, when a feast would take place, there would be two invitations. The first invitation would be sent out and this would be telling you about the event that was going to take place. And you would respond, we are coming to the event. But the next invitation that would go out would be a reminder, today's the day, everything's prepared, come. So all of these people had already been invited. They had already responded. They were planning on coming. But now when the second invitation comes, letting them know that everything has been prepared for them, what did they say? They made excuses. One guy made an excuse because he had a a greater attachment to his possessions. Another man made an excuse because he had a preoccupation with his business. Another person made an excuse because he had, had this priority of this relationship. And none of these things are a problem. That is, you know, possessions or business or relationships. The problem was they put those things in front of being a part of the kingdom, as it were. They had other priorities and they made excuses when the invitation went out. You know, there are people like that today, aren't there? The invitation of the gospel goes out and people have all kinds of excuses. Oh, I'd love to walk with the Lord, but you know, I got this going on in my life. And so I don't have time for that. Oh, I'd really, but you know what? I kind of, I got this and, and, and I'll get around to it, you know, but right now I've really got some things and, and they make excuses. We live, don't we? in, In a society where many people make excuses, excuses for everything. Nobody wants to be held accountable. Well, it's not my fault. It's their fault. Well, it's not my fault, it's the people's fault. It's not my fault, it's my mom's fault. It's not my fault, it's my husband's fault. It's not my fault. And we always want to make excuses and nobody wants to be responsible for their own actions. In fact, I think it was Ben Franklin who said, if all you do is make excuses, then that's all you'll be good for. And some people, there's always an excuse for everything. Hey, why don't you, well, you know, it's like, really? Take responsibility. And, And some people don't want to do that. In fact, there are people that make a profession They have a profession where you can come and you can sit down and they can find you an excuse. If you can't find one for your bad behavior, they will find one for you. (laughs) And then you'll write them a check and you'll come back and they'll drain your account and they'll just keep telling you who to blame it on. And listen, I'm not saying that what's happened to you or what's happened to me in my life doesn't have an effect on me. But you know what? I'm a new creation in Christ. And the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all those things. And I'm not going to make excuses for my behavior based on my parents' behavior. I'm not going to make excuses for the way I choose to live in Christ because they chose not to live for Christ. I'm not going to allow the difficult or the painful things to shape the future that God has for me and, and, and somehow not be responsible. Well, I would do that, but you don't know what I've been through. Hey, do you know what Jesus has been through? 
There's a lot of people that have gone through hard stuff in this life, a lot of painful things, but I'm not going to use that to make an excuse for my own life. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus and I'm going to be all that he wants me to be. And he promises to do things in me that no one else could do. Well, I think this parable also applies to the fact that the invitation, as it were, went out to the Jewish people. The invitation went out. Jesus first came to his own people, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You remember the Bible says, and they rejected him. So what happened? The door opened up for Gentiles, for the lame, the blind, and the rest of them to come in. And the wonderful thing about this parable that I love, one of the things that stood out to me as I read it again, is the servant comes back and he says, there's still room. Oh, I'm so thankful today that there is still room. There's still room for you. Well, I don't know if the kingdom of heaven is going to be big enough or there's room for you. If you respond to the invitation, when you respond, you find that he's done it all. He's provided everything, man. He's laid it all out. He provided salvation. He provided his word. He provided the Holy Spirit. He's provided everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. It's all set up for you. Will you come and partake of it? It's an invitation. Well, what do I have to do to you just come? You just respond to the invitation that he's given. And you will be so blessed. It's so sad when people make excuses and don't respond to the love of God. How important that is. Finally, in verse 25 through 33, we have an important passages concerning the cost of discipleship. Pay close attention now. Jesus is just a short distance away from his crucifixion. And people were saying, we'll follow you. We'll be your disciples. But Jesus was determined that those who were going to follow him, they needed to know where it was that he was going. And so look at verse 25, follow along. Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he had laid the foundation is not able to finish it, and all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, but he wasn't able to finish What king going out to make war against another king doesn't sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes with him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Please note this three times Jesus makes the statement, cannot be my disciple. And the whole emphasis of these last few verses of this chapter deal with this subject primarily, the cost of discipleship. There's a cost. Now, at first glance, when it says, whoever does not hate father, mother more than me, you know, loves them more than he does me, they can't be my disciple. Hey, listen, many of these people that were following Jesus as his disciples, they would be cut off from their family. They would lose out on their inheritance. They've been given an ultimatum. If you choose to follow Jesus, if you're going to follow this guy, if you're going to be his disciple, just know this. We don't know you anymore. You're dead to us. There's a cost involved. Some of you, some of you here today, that's something you went through. You came home and you told your parents, you're not going to believe this. I went to church and I gave my life to Christ or, or whatever. You committed your life to Jesus and your parents said, what? How could you turn your back on your family? How could you do this? You know what? You're not welcome here anymore. And you, there was a cost at that moment. Do I love my father and mother more than I love Jesus? There's a cost. 
Am I going to not follow Jesus because I'm being rejected by my family? Or am I going to follow Jesus because I wanna, I'm accepted by him? And that's a tough thing. And there are people, especially in other cultures today, where following Jesus, there is a tremendous cost involved. Their whole life, they've come up through the caste system or their whole life, they've come up through this particular ideology and it's been just pressed upon them and they come to know Jesus and when they turn and follow after Jesus, they're rejected. It's like they don't even exist. It's like they have a funeral for them. That's a cost involved. And many of these people were going through that. In addition to that, he said, if you don't pick up your cross, you're not gonna be my disciple. What does that mean? Carry up your cross. It basically means death to self, guys. The cross is an instrument of death. It's death to my will and it's an acceptance of Jesus' will for my life. If I'm gonna truly be his disciple, then it's death to me, to self, that wants to reign and rule. And here it's, it's saying, Jesus, you're gonna be the savior. You're gonna be the Lord. I choose to pick up my cross and follow after you. There's a cost involved. Jesus said, listen, if a man sits down to build a tower and he gets ready to build it out, he, he draws up the blueprints, he gets his estimates, he budgets out how he's gonna do it and then he begins to build, but he didn't fully count the cost and now he can't finish it and it's halfway done. People are gonna say, what, what were you building there? Well, I was gonna build a tower. Are you gonna finish it? Nope. It's going to be half a tower because he didn't count the cost. Guys, the emphasis here, and I think this is extremely important in modern Christianity right now, is the people of God need to count the cost if they're going to follow Jesus. Really, we do. And there is a cost involved. Am I willing to follow Jesus? Am I willing to die to myself? Am I willing to go where he leads? Jesus wanted people to be very clear of where it is that he was leading Because to be a disciple means to be like your teacher. Have you counted the cost? Have you forsaken those things of the old life in order to follow Jesus into this new life that he has called you to? There is a cost involved and sometimes people aren't willing to pay that cost. Well, I know if I follow Jesus, then my girlfriend's gonna leave me. So I'm not ready for that. You know, I know if I follow Jesus, that might affect you fill in the blank. But I'll tell you this, it's worth it. It's worth it to pay the cost. You remember the apostle Paul said in writing to the Philippians? He said, the things that were gained to me, I've counted loss. In fact, he said, I count all things loss for the sake of following after Jesus. And you know when he said that? 30 years after he had committed his life to Jesus. In other words, 30 years previously, Paul had counted the cost and followed Jesus and he'd been walking with Jesus 30 years and it's like he looks back and says, you know what? I still count it loss. In fact, I count it as rubbish, garbage compared to the righteousness of Christ that I receive for the glory that I'm gonna experience in the future. In other words, he said, I paid the cost and it's worth it. And every single one of us on the day that we're with the Lord will understand it's been worth it. What price are you having to pay for following Jesus right now? Is there any at all? Have you counted the cost? Have I counted the cost? May God help us to do that in order that we might truly be his disciples. You've been listening to A Daily Walk with our pastor and teacher, John Randall. We're going through the Gospel of Luke right now to get the CD that contains today's message for a cost of $5.00. Go online to adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. That toll-free number once again, 877-242-0828. 
We also house our recent programs at adailywalk.org, and you'll find them on our mobile app as well. Do a search for Calvary South OC and download it for free today. Hi, this is Michelle Randall with some exciting news about my new 366-day devotional, A Daily Walk for Women. You know, it's my prayer that these words from my personal devotional life will encourage you in this season that you're in and throughout the year. It's my hope that this devotional will really prime the pump and get you moving in the right direction each morning and be sort of like a pep talk from your personal cheerleader. I pray that you enjoy this labor of love as you look to Jesus each day. Request a daily walk for women for the special price of $15 when you call 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Please remember, it's your generosity that helps us remain a biblical voice on stations like this one all across the nation. With your help, we're delivering God's good news at a critical time in human history. No gift is too small to be used by God in great ways. Again, our number is 877 877- 2420828 or you can donate online at adailywalk.org. You know, we're reminded on a continual basis that the Lord is doing great things through the radio and the internet today. And maybe he's doing something amazing in your life. We want to hear about that. Pastor John would be very encouraged by what you have to say. Write to us today by email at adailywalk@gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. Come on back next time when Pastor John Randall will share another study in the Gospel of Luke to help us in our daily walk. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through your generosity.